This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 3 in our series on Ira Stephen Bear as a showrunner, where we are going to look at Ira Stephen Bear's fourth TV series, The 4400. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by the Jordan Collier of Trek FM, (laughs) Chris Jones. How's it going, Chris? It's all right. I've been busy, you know, setting up my foundation, uh, trying to find people with special abilities to bring onto the network and and such, just like Jordan. That's cool. That's cool. Well, what happens when you disappear? Who, who's going to step in, step step up, and take take your place? Charlene? Uh, no, there's this new guy. Uh, maybe you guys haven't heard him yet. Uh, this new guy, Sean, who I found, and he is going to be coming on the shows, and and you know he'll be he'll be stepping in. Cool, can't wait to hear that. All right, so this week we're talking about the forty four hundred, which is aside from the Twilight Zone and Bob Patterson, the only show that. Uh, Iris Stephen Bear stayed on from beginning to end, like as a showrunner. You know, of course he was there all 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 through Deep Space Nine. But it's kind of weird when you say aside from aside from the other of half of other. his career. <laughs> I guess so, but but both of those lasted a season or less. So this yeah. this one lasted uh, four years. So he spent more time on this than anything other than Deep Space Nine, really. So um, it was created by another uh, Deep Space Nine uh, veteran, Rene Echeverria, along with Scott Peters, who um, directed probably more episodes of this show than anyone else. And uh, it was developed as a miniseries, which was sort of a backdoor pilot to a larger series. And that miniseries was run by Bear after like the first episode, I guess, you know, I mean that like Echeverria and I think Peters wrote the first episode and then bear took over the show and Echeverria went back to running medium over on NBC at that point, which I always thought was really kind of strange. You create a show, Echeverria even got nominated for uh, an Emmy for his screenplay. And then he just abandons the thing that he created to do a show that was created by some other guy. I don't know why you're so fixated on this it's abandonment just, I, thing. I've always, I've always just found that to be strange. You grew up with both your parents. Why are you so fixated on abandonment issues? Okay, you're right, you're right. But, you know, that being said, Echeverria, being a smart guy, knew exactly who should run the show in his absence, and that was Iris Stephen Bear, his old boss. And I personally think he did a, a rather good job. For those people who aren't familiar with the show... It's uh, 
about 4,400 people who have gone missing over the past like 50 years, well, somewhere in that area. Some of them go pretty far. A back. little more, yeah, under yeah, a century. About 70. Yeah. 70 yeah. years. And uh, they miraculously appear in Seattle altogether. Miraculously? None of them having aged a day. Miraculously, not miraculously. Well, you're picking a side in the whole debate about what the show is about. Okay, fair enough. If you say miraculously. Okay, fair enough. We've been through this many times, but you can't pick a side when you're describing the show. They mysteriously appear. Let's go with the word suddenly. Okay, all right. Any of those work. They improbably appear. You could say out of the blue... Not only in the normal meaning of the phrase, but the the ball of light was also blue. So there you yeah, go. That it works. Kind of, it, it was sort of bluish. Yeah, I, it I is. think of it as being white. It's bluish. Yeah. It's blue. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. So so they all appear, and some of them have powers, and some of them don't. And of course, the question is, where were they? You know, none of them know. You know, what, why, who took them, who brought them back, you know, all, all this stuff. I think it's presumed that they all have powers. It's just that some of some those of them powers don't know how to use are them. so pointless that they might never even notice. <laughs> yeah. Like the ability to know when milk is going bad. Right. And, and, <laughs> and some like, of them. Like, oh, I just got a weird tingle. I don't know what it was. Might be the milk. Might be some milk going bad. Yeah. Or half and half. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, like I said, uh, the, the it was you know fairly critically acclaimed. The series and and Bear himself uh, got nominated for best miniseries, and Echeverria was nominated for best uh, screenplay for a miniseries for his uh, first episode. It was also nominated for for best cinematography, uh, and it was also a, a pretty big hit in in the ratings too. And well. And that no no for I, what it was it, I, I think it like it set the basic cable record for uh, something well for what it rather. was I mean yeah it was a USA network show was it not yeah when yeah. it originally aired yeah right and and it did it did really well for for that uh, genre in particular on that network so much so that they gave it another three seasons yeah. so so Chris what are your thoughts on the forty four hundred well I will clarify our little opening bit there you called me the jordan collier of podcasting i think it was right of, of course FM. he's a central figure i, of I, the 4, I didn't 400. do that oh that's appropriate jordan collier of trek <laughs> fm the leader of trek fm yeah. and he's the central figure of the show and and of course sean is is one of the returnees who has powers who takes over for jordan after He's killed, which is uh, one of the points where the show really goes into its its religious context, which is, of course, why Max was telling you not to take sides with the word <laughs> miraculous there. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the show. I saw it when it first aired. I watched it all the way through. It's been a few years since I watched it, and so I've been, I've been going back through uh, because I knew we were going to talk about it on here. And I've always enjoyed it because I see a lot of similarities of course, with the, being Iris Stephen Bear on here, being Renee Echeverria, that I see a lot of similarities between the show and Deep Space Nine in the way characters are handled, the type of storytelling that's going on, and of course, Ira's fixation with the God figure, which we get with Cisco in Deep Space Nine, and which we get here with Jordan Collier in the 4400. And uh, I've just always found it to be... I think one of the better science fiction series in recent years, 
and I love the fact that it's not spacey. It actually takes place in mo- in modern day on Earth. Man, yeah. yeah. what about you, Max? Um, I there there's a thousand different things I could I could I could bring up about how I think this show is incredibly strange. How about forty four hundred different things? <laughs> no, a hundred one hundred and forty four thousand <laughs> things is more accurate <laughs> because that's the real number we all know. But um, th- there there's a lot of things about the show that I found incredibly strange when I was watching it, and for this, I, like. I, I decided to watch some episodes because I remembered basically everything that happens, but no one's names, not a single yeah. name was left in my brain after, after a couple of years of not watching the show. And I watched a bunch of episodes and I can tell you right now, I remember the name Jordan Collier. Everyone else's name is gone. Oh, Danny. Danny came in at the very end. Scorus, because it's such a weird name. Scorus. Yes. Yeah. 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 Whatever her first name was. Yeah. doesn't matter. Diane. Point is. Yeah. The point is, I found it very strange that after watching Deep Space Nine for a bunch of years and thinking, like, I guess it would be really frustrating to be saddled with, like, a bunch of main characters that are kind of boring and don't have any problems. And, like, the main two characters in this show are kind of boring and don't have any problems. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird that he left Star Trek to go create two FBI agents who have a good working relationship and no (laughs) sexual tension. It's all good. Yeah, that's really weird. And there's a million other things. I found a lot of things very strange. Towards the very end of the show, I was like, I was like, okay, they're not playing around with the religion anymore. They are, they are seriously owning all of these terms. Like they used the word marked. They were like, yes, the marked. They're the bad guys. They're working for the other team, the bad team. And it's like, wow, you're okay, fine. I I thought you were doing that all along, but now you're not screwing around. Now you're just saying that this is the actual biblical apocalypse and it's all going down. And apparently all of those things about people being resurrected from the dead is really more like they're reappearing because we thought they were dead because they were gone. Really strange stuff. And there's this book of prophecies. They're walking around with a book of prophecies. And like, this is exactly, it's like it's in the book. And I'm thinking like, do they not have the Bible? Why are there two books of similar prophecies? How weird is it that nobody's drawing these parallels in this show? What's interesting is I, I read this on the internet. Apparently, Jordan Collier, JC, was unintentional. They that that was just a coincidence. I, mean, I guess they ran with it eventually. Yeah, but I mean, but, like, know. so's John Connor. I guess so. Is Which, it? Yeah, but because of James Cameron. Because <laughs> when you've got those initials, you go like, those initials do sound right. Yeah. There is something about those initials. So the initials may have been just a coincidence, but the character certainly isn't. You get oh, to the yeah. point where when Jordan Collier is assassinated and they put him in the casket and they go in there and the body's gone. And then three days later, it's, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. just straight parallel pretty yeah. much. Even, even the imagery, you know, the way his hair and, and is the, and his beard. His hair, and yeah, the way yeah. they do him, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Didn't, they didn't pull any punches on the Christ imagery yeah. after a while. Yeah, yeah. After a while, yeah, yeah. it took At a first while. First, it wasn't like to, that, but yeah. They, yeah. But I'm like, eventually, when he used to, when he had the beard, I was like, oh, they're yeah, all right. Another example of him doing one thing on Star Trek and then on the new show, doing a much boring, much more boring version of it. <laughs> Cisco as a self-sacrificing Christ figure was interesting because they didn't use any of the imagery. It was like you had to see through it. But they, like, coded Jordan Collier in every way imaginable. Like, think about Jesus when you're looking at this guy. Think about that. Huh? 
How about some more things to remind you of the obvious symbolism at play? So on the whole, did you like it or not? I totally liked it. I didn't. I wasn't blown away by it. Yeah. I, I thought that it was uh, it was really interesting, and I really thought that it had a lot of cool stuff in it. But I mean, on the whole, it wasn't like a giant cohesive like piece that felt really significant. Mm-hmm. But like, it was one of those frustrating things where like the the standalone episodes were actually sometimes more interesting. Yeah, that's than true. the ongoing continuity, which is really weird yeah. because their their core mythology wasn't super fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was just occasionally they'd have like a good character that they would deal with for an episode, yeah. and that was that was interesting. But at the same time, like they they put a ticking clock in episode one of that show and said this thing's going to go off. Mm-hmm. So they were always under that time crunch. One thing this reminds me of is a book that was written uh, prior to to this series coming out. I don't know if you guys have read Stephen Baxter's Manifold series. There's Manifold Time, Manifold Space. Manifold origin, but what happens in Manifold Time is that there are these blue portals that appear on Earth and appear in the solar system, and there are children who start to exhibit unusual abilities. It's very much like the people, the returnees here, who exhibit these abilities, and the children become known as the blue children. And I mentioned earlier that, at least to me anyway, this it's this blue ball of light that brings the 4400 back. But what happens that's very similar is that, of course, we find out in the 4400 that these people weren't taken by aliens. They were taken by humans from the future because the world has gone wrong and they're trying to correct the course of the world, which is the same thing in Manifold Time, except it's more distant. But in the in the distant future, the universe is dying and humans realize that something went wrong. And in the beginning of Manifold Time, it says that sitting at the death of the universe, humans look back and they said, this isn't how it was supposed to be. And so they reached back into time to change the course of events. And, they, and, and that was humans reaching back and giving new abilities to try to, to uh, help human evolution and society progressed differently and it was just so so similar to what happens here in the 4400 yeah yeah that is interesting yeah there's yeah. A, there's sort of a weird recurring theme of of that that sort of like sci-fi concept of the future going oh no we screwed everything up we need to go back in time and change things i mean like there's a lot of people who like connect that sort of logic to like the uh, the alien abduction phenomenon who say that those gray, big-eyed aliens are humans evolved into the future, right. and and they're retrofitting us with new genes so that we don't end up as incompetent as them? And it, like, there's a, there's a there's a million different permutations of that. There's like, I mean, there are weird sort of flirtations with that concept in Star Trek, even. I mean, there's it's a, it's sort of an ongoing thing. And when they revealed what it was in the forty four hundred, I thought, hmm, again. Well, that's an interesting thing, and um, I guess we can just kind of segue into my thoughts on, on the show with that. Is um, another thing that I was reading on the internet was that uh, the original plan was to reveal who was controlling this stuff at the end of season five, but uh, the the and it net- was future guy. Yeah, but the network was <laughs> was like, um, well, we we want some closure for the miniseries, so why don't you reveal it at the end of the miniseries, at the end of season one, essentially? And I think that that was a good idea because 
you get these shows like, say, Lost is the one that uh, everyone you know always points out, but there's a million shows like that, X-Files. Have you watched the entirety of Lost? No, I've only seen season one. Because you don't know how okay. crazy. But, but regardless... Oh, it gets, we're, it, but but the, the point is, like, there is yeah. there's a... a a, a thing where it's like, what's the question, or what what's the answer to this question? I don't I don't know. You know, ooh, what what is it? What is it? And there's so many questions with no answers that at some point you're just like, guys, come on, just give me a freaking answer because I'm kind of it's distracting from everything else that you're doing. You know, that is that is sort of an ongoing pattern in a lot of TV. I mean, Heroes did yeah. it yeah. probably the worst oh, yeah. of all television in human history. <laughs> yeah, but. Lost certainly had its problems, which was like, there's the mysterious box. What's in the mm-hmm. mysterious box? And then, like, you know, like after two years, somebody opens and goes, oh, it's a bunch of wasps in there. They're all dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, you said give me some answers. I'll tell you with Lost. My, my wife watched Lost. She was more into it than I was, and she watched it all the way from season one through. And when she got to the final episode and it finished, she said, I feel so robbed. Why did I waste my time watching this show? So yeah, she, she, I don't know if you ever get answers. She, well, I, I've, no, heard, the, the prob- I've gotten, I've gotten is, answers. The problem is you get like five different answers. I've, I've gotten answers from two two sources now. Uh, one was uh, this is forty, where you know one of the characters, one of the the girls, is watching Lost, and she gets to the end, and you see her watching the finale, and she makes a big deal out of it. And then the other one was. Uh, what was the show? It just, oh God, I just watched it. Some show where like someone wakes up from like a coma and they're like, well, let's see, what have you missed? Oh, Arrow. Arrow. First episode oh, okay. of Arrow, they they reveal the ending of Lost. So thanks, pop culture. Um, Look, don't worry about don't worry about the ending to Lost. Okay, I'm not worried about because it because there's like different like like turning points where the show sort of transforms. And criti- criticizing the final the final episode of Lost for being like unsatisfying is kind of crazy because the show had a lot of moments of closure. Yeah, the final season ends in the final episode of the show, and the reveal for that is kind of like what? Okay, well, I'm I'm excited to see it. At some it's point. not. It's not like oh no, the whole show was a waste of time. Because if you didn't figure that out by that point, <laughs> I mean, really, something else is going on. Well, I, I'm 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 looking forward to watching the rest of it because I did enjoy season one quite a bit. Okay, but regardless, you know what's in the hatch? Um, I can't remember if I saw a dude. That. Okay, all right. Okay, well that's interesting. Regardless, a dude is in the hatch. Regardless, getting back to to my thoughts on forty four hundred <laughs> and and relating to something else that you brought up, which is Heroes, which was another show which was on yeah. during this time period, which people were going crazy for. My wife would watch that show religiously, and I saw most of it because I happened to be in the room waiting for Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip. Oh yeah. Um, good times, but uh, waiting through heroes for a good show, <laughs> but but that was canceled. Yep, but but while while waiting, I saw most of heroes, God, and and, and when people were were saying like you know, hey, heroes is so great, heroes is so great, I kept on thinking like, this is really in a lot of ways similar to forty four hundred, but forty four hundred is way better. The thing is, the thing, yeah, that was really funny because I was at a, I was at a party at some point like in season. Like the second year of Heroes, and somebody was like, "Oh my god, I love Heroes!" And honestly, I thought about leaving. I was like, "I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can be friends with this person because this is just such a terrible show." And and any second that I spent watching it, I felt like this is dreadful because, and it's not because like it was similar to Forty Four Hundred. It was because it was so pretty. 
they put so much effort into the way it looked and how it, slick it was. Oh, and it was like photographically, oh, God, it was beautiful, like, but that's the, that's the least of that show's problems. But it was like, the, like it offended me how empty it was. I guess so. And and they like, put so much effort into the wrapping, and I just thought, how can people not feel this? How can people not feel the pointlessness of this? But regardless of that, you know, heroes. People's love for heroes was sort of a jumping off point for me to get people to watch 4400 because, you know, you could say like, hey, you like heroes, check out this other thing, which is even better, which is really great. Or read X-Men comics. (laughs) You could do that too. But I think it did a really good job of showing how the world would react to the premise that, that, that it sets up. You know, lots of times you get shows or, or books like this, and it's so much about the people who are directly involved in uh, whatever it is that happens. You know, in this case, people coming back um, from the past with superpowers, that you don't really see how the world has changed because of it you know it's not going to be the same world that we're living in now it's going to be a lot different and this show went really really far in that direction you know to the point that it almost at some point became more about how um how normal people were um changed by by the events uh, more than than the uh, 4400 were except I mean, like, the main characters were, like, you know, government agents. Well, sure. The whole premise of the sh- I mean, the reason, like, your main characters are, like, they have that job is because they can go from, like, like the, the upper echelons of society and talk to the president and the pope, and they can also go down and deal with individuals. Like, that's, that's, that's really what the show does. It was trying to, like, deal with both aspects of society, like, on the ground and up at the top of the mountain. Yeah, but 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 you say like the main characters and I mean these are like Mulder and Scully but not in the sense that you've got basically two characters names in the credits or whatever. I mean one one of the things that I thought was really interesting was the storyline with uh Lily and um and Richard. Richard. There you go. Yeah. And and how I I thought it was really strange when they uh wrote Lily out of it. And then the next season, they wrote Richard out of it, and there was this absence. And I was like, I, I, I personally felt like their story was sort of like the heart of of the show. And when you lost them, yeah. it became a much more, almost more of a uh, a sort of um, a procedural. And Law and then and then there was superpowers, right? And and then there was that episode. Which sounds great. It does. And and then there was that episode in season four where they both came back, and it was like, wow, this was weird. I like the fact that they have this goodbye, but why did they get rid of them? You know, I'm, I'm really curious yeah. about that. Well, I think when Max talks about the the government, the high-level people, of course, you've got Tom, you've got Diana, and they're the federal agents. But when you have, you talk about Mike, Richard, and Lily, I like their characters as well because I think part of the story should be how is the government going to react to this as a threat? And of course, remember, there's a big post 9-11 vibe in this show with Homeland Security and other potential threats. But with Richard, Richard's a great character because you've got someone who's coming back from the 50s into our day and having to cope with with being black 
what he was used to in his own time and what it's like now. And that was a really hard adjustment for him. And that lets them explore a lot of, of the social aspects of, of what it's like from the returnee's perspective in particular, because for everyone else who's, you know, in, in the world that day, when they see him, he's just another guy. But for him, everything is really like, I can't really wrap my mind around how things are done now. And then with Lily, you know, you get the, especially if you're watching it as a parent, you get the, the sensation that she has that she had a child and then she comes back and then that child is now uh, yeah. grown. I guess she's what, 12 years old. Is that right? And um, yeah. what that would be like. So you, you get, you, this show does explore what it's like both from that federal agent side as well as from the ordinary person side for a while. But of course they do start to deviate and then those characters are gone. Well, I mean, part of it is that they, they have to show the people making the decisions and the most significant characters like Jordan Collier. He's not a guy on the ground. He's not a ground level character. He's, he's one of the higher ups and Mm -hmm. they get on a first name basis with him, which is not really like a, like a, you know, an anti view of this scenario. Like they are very close to like the major player in this whole story. And part of like my critique of it is, is I think that the show doesn't give a good depiction of what the world would be like in reaction to this event. Uh, I think that there would be far more just terribly pathetic, brutal murders. There would be a lot more, more people who returned just killed in a bar by some yeah, random, like, bigoted psycho. I mean, that would happen a lot. And it basically but, happens, like, maybe once. Okay, but I mean, they, you know, do, is that what you want the show to be about, I guess, from a creative standpoint? No, it's not. I'm just saying that, yeah. that it's not a realistic show. Well, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's realistic. And that's actually a, a criticism that I have of it. And this is something that I was thinking about throughout watching it, because it is similar to Star Trek in a lot of ways. And I think it's one of the... Like, if there's a problem that I have with Star Trek, like a big problem that I have with Star Trek, this is the problem. And, and Max, we've discussed this many times over the years about how Star Trek, in a lot of ways, is sort of Hold on. behind the times. How are you staring at me? No, I'm just waiting for something ridiculous. <laughs> no, no, no. You've, you've said this in agreement with me. Okay, I don't know what it is. In a lot of ways, from a, um, let's say, a, a aesthetic point of view, Oh, formal. Formal, formally. Star Trek is too. Star Trek's too old. Star Trek is very classical. It's Star Trek yeah. is an is an old man with who who likes cool music. Right, and the example that we He's, always no, you can't you can't make him not an old man. The example that we always give, which sort of like crystallizes this, is that one. I think it must have been on the Voyager DVDs where Michael Pillar is talking about how he he saw ER and he was like, "Wow, look at how." fast-paced there this is the dialogue is so snappy and 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 the whole scene and everything and it's so fast-paced and i really want to bring that to voyager and then they show a scene from voyager which is apparently this an example of how they did this i know and it is it looks like the slowest uh tense scene in the history of tense scenes. You're describing a scenario in which we watch something and laugh hysterically <laughs> that people all around us, everyone we know, will watch us react to this in this way and they would say, what is wrong with it, you two? I mean, I guess that's it. And I'm sure, you know, most people don't don't care. But like to me, 
4400 had this. Like the whole time that I was watching 4400, if you compare it, there's a weird thing, a weird division in shows. And it's almost like the division to me, maybe it's just a subconscious thing, like the division between shows which you're supposed to take seriously and shows which you're not. You know, like Battlestar Galactica, I'm going to say Friday Night Lights, The Sopranos, any of these things, like they have a certain aesthetic quality which has a certain level of realism to them, which makes you think you can take this Wait. seriously. Okay, no, that's there's those are not similar aesthetics. They're not similar aesthetics, but they they are in 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 a certain way. They, the, the 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 feeling that they create is a certain authenticity, which is lacking the, in things like forty four hundred. I think that, I think what you're what you're talking about is the is the concept of it being uh, deliberate, is the concept of it being uh, conceived fully. They they're not they're not doing it like a like a playhouse logic. Like part of yeah. the Star Trek thing is is plug and play directing and editing. Like anybody can go in and do it because. All the all the rules are right there in a book, and there's only like six pages in that book, so like that's why like it it works the way it does. It is totally true that like when I was in film school and they were teaching us the basic standard over over two shot thing, yeah. the examples which they gave us were Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like literally, that's what we studied in order to learn how to do it in the most basic way you could possibly do something. This is the most boring discussion. Okay, you're right, but I, I'm just saying, like, this is this is a big <laughs> problem that I had boring. with 4400, and yes, this is actually it's, something. It's, it's it's a bit stuffy and formal, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and because the writing doesn't reflect it, you know, like I've been, you know, like reading, you know, books about like. Star Trek, the original series and everything and concepts that they had and you hear these ideas and when someone says them to you or, or Harlan Ellison stuff, when someone says what what these ideas are to you, you think, wow, like the, what you imagine in your head is huge and then you see it on screen and it's so small and I don't know if that makes any sense but that's really how I feel about a lot of Star Trek and the forty four hundred. It makes sense, but it, it's describing this is is unbelievably difficult. Okay, the, I, right. I think that the important thing to recognize here is that is that it's not a simple thing. You can't just get a guy who shot a good episode of ER and knows how no, to move the camera it's, it's, and plug him into this show. You need to rip things out like and start from scratch. It's not. I mean, you can't even just do that you because can't. part of it is atmosphere. Part of it is the other people around you. Yeah, no, it's part it's of a it's whole, just the rhythm. You you really need to. You need to you need to pull a JJ in order to do it. You no, really you do. no. You need to you you need to just like know all of the people. You need to be in the environment that you're comfortable in. The reason these shows look the way they do is because these people bring the people they know with them. And I think part of it's also a choice. I mean, you can't do it halfway through. You can't change anyway. I'm, this is going off probably way too much in this direction. Chris looks bored, but. <laughs> But um, I, I don't know. It's just something that I kept on thinking about while watching this show. But anyway, something that I, I, I did really like about this show is how um, it showed every side of the argument and didn't really maybe really? okay maybe not every side of the <laughs> argument, but it 
it was definitely ambiguous. It didn't come down hard on on one side or another. It didn't, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff in there where even when you know who the good guys are and what, you know, is, is supposedly, you know, the right and the wrong, there was always someone on the other side who was making a very valid argument for what they were doing. Does that make any sense? Do you guys agree with that? I I mean I I see where there are yeah I I see what you're saying I, the the imagery and the storyline itself it's pretty clear what they're going for with this being you know like revelation is coming to life and and except instead of it being well that's that's the thing about it. instead of it being a biblical thing where it's it's God doing this we're doing it to ourselves from the future um but, although there is specific reference to it, God being on earth. I mean, it's in the but, book. But it's, in it's, in the, book. it's in the prophecy book. But that's something that someone in the future wrote and put in the past. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what show is this? What does that mean? <laughs> that means that it's the thing. Somebody stated well, it. Well, okay. What is the difference here? So the Bible is a book written by people in the past that we read today and we interpret and then this prophecy book is a book written by people in the future that we read today and interpret in within the 4400 they're kind kind of similar i think i think it's more than similar i think that there's a significant (laughs) problem with 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 this concept it's not ambiguous it's not any more ambiguous than than it's certainly less ambiguous than almost any religion. Uh, and I'm, religions I'm saying, are pretty diehard in their interpretation. I'm saying it's like morally ambiguous. No? Uh, that's, I mean, that conceptual, that, that that's conceptually sort of like, like incredibly difficult to quantify. I mean, because yeah. like, if you say like Jordan Collier is right because he's technically correct. This is the way to do this. He's not even making an argument. There's this whole thing towards the end of the show with this like question of should everyone take promycin? Half the people in the world would die. Uh, yeah. Jordan says, yes, mm-hmm. half the people in the world should die. And the argument be- against that is half the people in the world would die. Yeah. And his argument is it's not going to work either way. There's no way to make this actually function unless half the people in the world die. And he's probably right. That doesn't mean it's good. That doesn't mean that he's in the moral like high ground here. It just means that he might be correct. And that's not a moral question. It's just like, I don't really want to be on that side. And that's not because I think it's evil. It's just because I just don't want to be that, that nasty. Well, I mean, that's, but that's part of it. I mean, the way that the series ends, spoilers, you know, one of the very last things is you see um, Diana, is that her name? Scorus? Mm-hmm. With, with her kid. Yeah. And her kid said, and, and they were seeing Jordan Collier, you know, like basically rise to power. They are watching it on TV. And the kid says, see, mom, look, I told you he was one of the good guys. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's declaring himself dictator of, you know, the world, essentially. There's nothing good about this. And she's like, and and the little girl says, well, no, it's better this way because now we're in charge. And it's like, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in there. There's a lot of, you know, it's, it's, you know, and that's your, your Christ figure too. I mean, there's, there's, it is definitely 
to me anyway, morally ambiguous, you know? And it's I like not, that. But, but I mean, that's not... It doesn't, it doesn't say, like, this is right, this is wrong. It just says, this is why this guy thinks it's right, this is why this guy thinks it's right, and, uh, you know, we're not going to say which is right and which is wrong, and we're going to let you decide for yourself. Sure. I mean, but, even the way but, season three ends, where they turn to the camera and they say, hey... Odds are 50-50. You want to take the shot? You know, I mean, they're like literally asking you to sort of participate in the, the, the moral complexity of the, of the show. Right. And, but at the same time, that's not really a moral issue. That's not. Per, no, right. that, that like, essentially, per none of it is. But, but still, that, that's sort of like the, the idea that what that show does to me consistently is make you as a viewer think about what's going on and 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 instead of telling you what is right and what is wrong, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that NTAC does, and they're the good guys. Where I think, like, oh my god, you, are you yeah. crazy? You know, there's stuff that NTAC does that you think is yeah is, is inappropriate, right? Have you seen anything that's happening currently? Well, yeah, I think that's what, <laughs> I, well, that's I think that's exactly that. what he's trying to say, you know, right? Exactly. And and. Yes, there there are there are things about about you know Antac's behavior that is certainly questionable, but at the same time, who cares? Well, uh, like I, it's really. I it's, think people it's, who it's, are watching the show care. No, I I don't mean I don't mean that it's not it's not a significant thing. I'm just saying that for the show, it didn't really significantly affect the actions in the series, moral behaviors, moral choices. It was really sort of like. A question of how you analyze the show, because in the show nobody really went through any of those. Nobody ever had to go through a long, complicated, like moral choice, because essentially everyone's choice was eventually given to them by the circumstances. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with that. Anyway, well, I think Mike, oh. this is one of the parallels that I see with Deep Space Nine, though, is that with the writing in Deep Space Nine, especially in the later seasons. It is left up to you as the viewer a lot of times to analyze what's going on and to figure out what's right and what's wrong and who's right and who's wrong and what the message is that the writers are, are trying to get across to you and and they leave it for you to decide. And, and I do see a lot of that in, in the 4400 as well, which is is one reason why, I mean, I think a lot of the, the flaws in the show that we talked about are all there for sure. At the end of the day, as as science fiction and as the average show goes, uh, I enjoy that, the same aspect that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that that's something that uh, we can see throughout Bear's career. Certainly, you know, like you said, it's in Deep Space Nine and, and it's here. Um, you see it a, a bit in, in his episodes of The Twilight Zone. Um, and you do. Well, it's The Twilight Zone. It's The Twilight Zone, yeah. And, and that you see it a bit in Alphas as well. I still haven't watched Crash. But I'm very curious to see. I'm really like I am super curious to watch Crash now. See, I think I, I to me I see a, like an actual sort of like gradual um, discarding of, of 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 moral burdens. I, I see Iris Stephen Bear over the course of the past fifteen years or so gradually saying that's not really super interesting to me because forty four hundred feels significantly less. Um, morally and ethically dubious than any season of Deep Space Nine. Uh, I don't know about that, and I also don't know about that. I mean, like, you know, like I think I said this before, but, you know, when he was at the convention and someone asked him about, you know, whether we would ever see a Deep Space Nine movie, he was like, yeah, probably not, but 
if I were to do it, it would be about Section 31 because of what's going on today. I mean, that I, I, th- I think that he is still definitely interested in that stuff. Well, I'm not saying he's not interested in it. I'm just saying that 4,400, to me, the moral ambiguity was it, – it's significantly watered down. It, it is well, not nearly as significant uh, well, uh, complex complexity as, as Deep Space Nine had. I think on Deep Space Nine, I feel like Ira could approach it he could approach the the story with this ambiguity in the same way on Deep Space Nine. It will have more impact on us because he's doing it within the framework of Star Trek and Starfleet, and we just simply don't expect our characters to do those types of things. We especially don't expect Cisco to do the things that he does, and we never imagined that that uh, a captain could be a religious fig- figure either. Whereas in the forty four hundred, he is showing us this through Intac and in our present day, and we can completely believe that our own government and these agents would do these things and would be morally ambiguous. So it's not surprising at all to us within the context of the 4400, but it is on Star Trek. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I, I just think that the, the actions that the MTAC agents take are not particularly shocking. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like they certainly break some rules here and there, but uh no, it's not really nasty. Well, that that I don't that, <laughs> that I don't see to be nearly as shocking as the rules that Entech has in place in, in in the first place. Like when they're breaking the rules is usually when they're you know sort of veering more towards the the moral high ground. But I mean that's how I see it anyway. It which is a completely different dynamic than Starfleet, which is you know the other way. You know, like deep space nine starfleet is the the moral high ground and and it's about characters who do what they need to do in order to maintain that whereas Entech, the same time, i think is reversed at the same time like deep space nine dealt with the idea of like being trapped in a situation where you have to do things that are not particularly right. good because they're just required by the situation right 4400 deals with people doing exactly the same thing but there's no real like really serious like harm yeah to, to me <laughs> to me the difference is yeah 4400 is about a government which is doing that and the people who are trying to maintain their morality in this system i don't think that there's much much maintaining okay all right well, <laughs> fair enough Anyway, um, um, I do have a question, Mike. How did we yeah. get this far into the discussion of the 4400 without mentioning the fact that Jeffrey Combs is in it? That's what I was just about to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeffrey Combs is in it. Uh, it's it's quite clear that, that he is a favorite of Iris Stephen Bears. He was also in Twilight Zone, and, and I think he showed up in Deep Space Nine once or twice. I, I can't really remember. I think currently um, he's playing Iris Stephen Bear. Currently he's playing Iris Stephen Bear. That would be <laughs> awesome. Um uh, and, you know, we, we talked about Echevarria, who obviously created the show, and also uh, of note is Robert Hewitt Wolf, who was on the writing staff yeah. uh, as well. There were some other Star Trek people involved. Billy Campbell, of course. Um, Alex, Alice Krieger was in a couple of episodes. Robert Picardo was in an episode. And uh, mm-hmm. Gl- uh, Glenn Warshower. And then also uh, uh, Penny, uh, Penny Johnson Gerald. Is that her name? Penny Johnson Gerald, right? Cassidy Yates. Yeah. yeah. She shows up at the end. As a bad guy, sort of. She's good at that. Is she? Oh, yeah. 40, or uh, 24. Uh, yeah. 2400? 2400, yeah. <laughs> She's good in that. Claude so, modem. So, Chris, any uh, final thoughts on the 4400? 
I I just enjoy the I enjoy the story. As I mentioned earlier, it reminds me a lot of Stephen Baxter's story. I just I like the the concept of people reaching back in time, you know, trying to change the past. I agree with Max that a lot of the standalone episodes are more interesting than the continuity, although they did manage to work continuity throughout, even in episodes that really do feel like they're pretty much standalone episodes. And, um, you know, I, I like the cast fairly well. The The thing that really got me about it was the, the ending, because you mentioned earlier the talk originally about a fifth season and what they would reveal at the end of the fifth season. And it ends after four seasons and it ends with the feeling that these guys got alfed, you know, they, they wanted the, they wanted to keep going and the studio said, Nope, four seasons, you're done. And they didn't really have a resolution to it. And so the final episode, you've still got activity going on. And Jordan's trying to escape, and you know the the marked are after him, and that's uh, into the series, and you're just felt you're left feeling like there there there's some closure there. It's not as bad as what has happened with some TV series that have been have been canceled, but I felt kind of unfulfilled by the ending of it. it just before uh, we we go on to Max's thoughts, I, I should mention what I read about the ending here. Apparently the the reason why it was canceled was a number of factors. The main one being that the writer's strike hit and that sort of like mm-hmm. killed any momentum that the show had. But the, the ratings were definitely in a decline and, you know, but with that being said, I, and it was expensive and it was USA. Yeah. And but, lots of different things. But with that being said, I'm not sure that I really agree, <clears throat> agree with, um, like I, I heard a lot of people on the internet talking about how it's like, oh, it ended on a cliffhanger and stuff like that, and I, I kept on waiting for there to be a cliffhanger. But as I'm watching this, it's finale, not really a cliffhanger. It just no, feels like I mean, not a solid resolution. There, there's more stuff going on, but to me, that is a very satisfying ending um, for a show that was not trying to end. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely okay with that as a finale. And there is a thing, I I don't know for sure what this is, because for some reason I couldn't find any information on it, but I guess on the complete box set, there is a special feature called the 4400, The Ghost Season. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's Scott Peters talking about, I'm assuming, what they were going to do in Season 5. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's Scott Peters' magic bag of hindsight, like Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight about Enterprise? There you go. I, I don't know what that is. But. <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of these. Yeah, I, well, I mean, they most did it recently, on Dark Angel. They did it, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and uh, most recently, I, I mentioned that like there was a, a long article about Reaper after it yeah. was canceled. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people doing that. Veronica I mean, Mars had a short concept film. Um, like, yeah, let's not go into well, that. Well, that's that's a whole other waiting. ball of amazing wax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still. But, I'm just going to wait for the made-for-TV movie Project Jordan. Which will go. explain everything. That's how they wrapped up Alf. So yeah, yeah. Um, they need to get Martin Sheen. Right? I don't know why, but that's, I saw that as a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Max, uh, your your final thoughts on the forty four hundred? In the very last episode, there's a, there's there's a shot towards the end where um, Iris Stephen Bear is um, unbelievably eye catching. <laughs> 
despite being very far away. He gives he gives uh, and in a large crowd. He gives Ron Moore a run for his money with his cameo in the last scene of Iris PSG. Steven, Iris Stephen Barrett can pull focus from space, um, but like, I I found the finale of of forty four hundred rather rather frustrating. Not because I thought it was unsatisfying, but because I thought. I knew this was going here since the first episode, and I'm not really surprised that we got here, or even how we got here. I'm kind of surprised that it took four years. And, like, that's not a thing you should be thinking when watching the finale of a show. Yeah. And that was that, that was actually the main takeaway that I got from it, because when I finished this show, I sort of, like, put it off in, like, a little shelf somewhere in my brain that said, no surprises there. Yeah, and and that's where it stayed. And when I revisited it for this, I was that was sort of confirmed. Uh, yeah, there really are no surprises there. You will watch it, and it's there will be really cool parts, and there will be parts that are sort of by the numbers. And when it's over, you'll say, "Yeah, that was well done," but not really. No surprises there. Yeah, I guess my reaction was somewhat similar. I I enjoyed it a lot when it was on. Um, and I enjoyed rewatching it. I just rewatched the entire thing over the span of about a, a month, including, um, 10 episodes today, literally. And, um, I, I think it, it is a very solid show, but it's also not a show where there's anything in it where I can just point to it and say like, man, Look at how amazing this is. You've got to see this. And you there know? are parts yeah. where you're like, they almost got there. Sometimes. There are parts where you can see that they're like, if they had just swung a little bit harder, they would have actually nailed it. Sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. There are a lot of uh, cool ideas in there. And um, I'm not sure that the show was really capable of, of maintaining it. But uh, on the whole, I do I do think that it is very good and, and would definitely recommend people check it out so chris um it's been about uh maybe two months since the last time you were on the show um how many more podcasts have you started up since then 4400 <laughs> that's right 4400 exactly um new podcast uh, there, there's one coming uh as anyone listening to the network knows colin ended trek news and views uh, about a month or so ago, and when we kick off 2014, Colin will be back on the network. We do have a new show where um, he's going to be exploring the music of Star Trek. So that's that's the only new one that has been created since last time I was on here. But we can still find you on The Ready Room, Literary Tracks, uh, The Orb, Orb, Warp 5. Warp 5. Yeah, you do, too, you, you do too many. Oh, and Matterstream. There you go. Yeah. All right, and anything, any of those, anything that we we uh, we should look out for? Any like special, cool things coming up, or just uh, um, just standard, high quality stuff all the way around? <laughs> well, for people listening to this show, because it hasn't been too long since you guys did your your Ronald D. Moore bits with Battlestar Galactica, th- those shows, um, I did record a show with Richard Hatch yesterday on Matterstream, so that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks. So um, B- BSG fans, if you want to hear Richard, who's playing a Klingon commander in the Star Trek Axanar, you can uh, catch that and hear all about that. He had some interesting thoughts on uh, on storytelling, especially war stories, and uh, p- 
pretty much just beyond Star Trek, but it was an interesting discussion. Cool. For people who haven't uh, heard Chris on all those other shows, here's a taste of what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. The Unmade Starfleet Academy movie. You know, even even on paper. Okay, do we want to do the the script which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek V, or do we want to do the script which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek II? Earl Grey. The ships of TNG. Oh no, it's one ship that splits into three parts, just like the D is one ship that splits into two parts. It's not a Voltron, it's, it's one <laughs> ship. <laughs> and Al formed the saucer. The orb. Dr. Bashir, I presume commentary. I know, the, it's just a hostile look on Cisco's <laughs> face the whole time. He's just looking at Zimmerman like, all right, you're a, you're a piece of work, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to the journey! Cisco. And obviously, Seska couldn't let go, no. and she proved that by having his child against his will. Yeah. Now, here is the Maury Show twist of the future. <sighs> he does not impregnate her. She impregnates herself with his DNA, or so she thought. But he is not the father. The ready room. Thank you. But it's also really gloomy, and it's sad. I never want to go back there. I don't want to like re-experience that. Like just the visual uh, candy of being able to go outside and and talk to the Vorta. And wow, I maybe didn't phrase that properly. I, I meant I meant the change in color and lighting. Oh. I did not mean. But she's a very. I thought you were Vorta. talking about Kilana. <laughs> she is fetching. No? She's a, she's a fetching lass. Warp five. Zindi evolution. Well, I think maybe Okapa and Insectoid are two races that could have a life together. You know, you've got the nine-year lifespan of the Okapa. You've got the 12-year lifespan of an Insectoid. If they meet at the right time, it could be, could be a beautiful love story. Commentary, Trek stars. Iris Stephen Bears, Star Trek. And it's the first time I heard him say something that he said several times over the years is, you know, one day, one day when we're not the middle child, we're not the stepchild... People are going to go, holy crap, look at DS9. Literary Treks. Slings and arrows, a sea of troubles. You, you see in this book, too, that Picard is facing this melancholy because they've been worried about the Borg, and now the Dominion is on the horizon, and there's these two things, and obviously this is before first contact, so that hasn't happened yet. And Picard seems to be kind of weighed down in this story in some ways. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So so uh, Iris Stephen Bear, of course, was uh, the driving force behind Deep Space Nine, but, but back before he came on the show, there was Emissary... You a fan of Emissary, Chris? I am, actually. I actually become more a fan of that episode every year that goes by. Have you heard J.M. Dillard's uh, novelization of Emissary? Actually, I have not picked that up yet, but I do know where to get it. Where would you get it if you if you were to pick it up? Well, at audible.com, of course. Because you're a listener to Trek FM, you could get it for free. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Emissary novelization written by J.M. Dillard, who wrote the novelizations for Star Trek Generations and Star Trek VI and a million other things. It's, it's narrated by Nana Visitor. And uh, 
I would read the description, but you guys know what emissary is about. You know what emissary is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So when she reads Kira's line. She does it in a funny voice. <laughs> yeah. In the book, when she says, there's your wormhole, it sounds just like Kira. <laughs> Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source of audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. Absolutely. You will love Audible. It is great. It's kept uh, yeah. me sane for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it makes doing this show so much easier because I can listen to books at work instead of reading them yeah. when I get home. Well, I guess that's it uh, for today and for the 4400. Thanks for joining us, Chris. We really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Where, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, yeah. Where can um, not find him? <laughs> <laughs> of course, all the shows in the network we talked about. And then on Twitter, I am C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. And my website is cbrianjones.com as well. Same name. Right, and as always, you can find us on Trek.fm doing this show, or you can find us on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Track Stars off-topic with our friend Brandon. You can also find me on Trek.fm doing Standard Orbit with Drew, and you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at Uh gmail.com. All right, so the 4400 is done. We will be back next week to discuss Iris Stephen Bear's fifth show, Crash. <laughs>